Hey guys, this is Joe. The time traveling is just too dangerous. Better that I devote myself to study the other great mystery of the universe. Woman. What's up, guys? It's Eric. Marty, he's in a 46 Ford and we're in a DeLorean. He'd rip through us like we're tinfoil. You've got to come back with me. Where? Back to the future. Marty and Doc are on a mission. 30 years into the future. Look what happened. But they're about to discover that getting back is a complete win. Is only the beginning. Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, and Michael J. Fox. Mom, is that you? Back to the Future Part 2. Rated PG. A brand new future is coming on Wednesday, November 22nd. You're listening to Worth the Late Fee, the podcast where two former video rental clerks watch movies that they may have recommended at one time to see if they still think the film would be worth keeping an extra day or two to watch again, even if it meant paying a late fee. What's new, Joe? Nothing much, Jack. How have you been? I've been good. I've been good. I, uh, you've been watching anything good? I have. Uh, well, again, I love older films, but uh, I mentioned in the past the Leave a Theater in Maine. Yeah. They play oh, a, lot of, yeah. Like, a lot of old movies and a lot of times they're free so you can just walk <laughs> and they kind of hope people buy like food and drinks and maybe make a donation which yeah. i always do just because it's, it's been around for 100 years so that's how they pretty much make their money at this point <clears throat> but i saw the goonies there a couple weeks ago and uh definitely a future episode very much so and it was a really 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 fun experience again because pow has never seen that movie before so it's again it's, it's nice being able to see these movies with knowing that they're classics and Hilda's classics and seeing someone's impressions as you're watching it with them for the first time. It's really cool. Oh, what movie was it? Oh my God. We were just talking, this isn't an old movie, but this is, so my wife hasn't seen a lot of the classic, like if a movie's aimed at a guy, <clears throat> she's, she hasn't seen a lot of them. And uh, again, this isn't an old one, but it's kind of based on an old one. <laughs> a few years ago, whenever the first Creed movie came out, we went and saw Creed and we were like halfway through the movie and she like tapped me or something. And she, Bree's like, is this, is this based on a true story? And I was like, I just looked at her. I was like, are you, are you fucking with me right now? And I was like, no, it's based on, it's like the story started in the Rocky movie. She's like, I don't know. I was like, oh my God. No, but I love, I love being with people when they first, when a few years ago, we were just, Joe and I were just talking and in a few weeks, we're going to go see, the classic Jaws, um, which that was like one of the first Instagram posts I think we put up. It's a picture of me at the Jaws show a couple of years <laughs> yes. ago. But um, we're going to go see that again in a few weeks. And I and the first time I saw that movie with Bree, she said she had seen it, but I feel like she probably had seen bits and pieces of it. So it was fun to kind of get the first experience of that one with me. Because that's that's like, I think that's a perfect film as well. I, you know, because it's scary but without being gory it's the perfect it's awesome it's great right. so what pg rating which is yeah. wild yeah that's probably not correct but <laughs> no, i mean no, it, it is def- correct that that's what it is but yeah no yeah no it's definitely yeah that's definitely not it wouldn't hold up today but that's but, awesome uh, you guys see that with pow yes no it's a greens is a great movie and like eric said future episode <laughs> maybe sooner than you think <clears throat> cool and uh i also saw for the first time wonder woman 1984 so this came out i think christmas around christmas time um, or I might have been around, it might have been close to that, maybe a little before, but I liked the first Wonder Woman. I heard a lot of bad things about the sequel, and I finally ended up watching it because I got the 3D Blu ray. So I was like, you know, this would be a reason to 
bust open my uh, glasses and check it out. And I'd agree with a lot of, like a lot of people said it wasn't that great. And I'd agree with that. It's very, very, there's a lot happening in the sequel, multiple villains, multiple storylines. And there's just, was too much happening in a two hour film, two and a half hour film. So the first one is a really cool introduction, reintroduction to the woman and like the relationship she has with Chris Pine, who's super charismatic in both of the films. But yeah, this the sequel is not as good as the first one was. I bet you it's better than Captain America, which we reviewed on this podcast. I don't know. Actually, way, don't, way, uh, better, way, no. better. Wonder, way better. Like, Captain America is a uh, it's an piece actual of comic trash. Book. <laughs> it's an actual comic book. <laughs> not the person, the, the film. Um, oh, was it? Oh, before I don't know if you have anything else to say, but I wanted to mention because you mentioned donating to that theater, and um. A few weeks ago, or a couple weeks ago, I kind of lost track of time, Conan O'Brien aired his last episode on, on TBS. And like anyone that knows me knows Conan O'Brien's, I don't, I don't even try to dance around it. Conan O'Brien's kind of a hero of mine. I don't care if that's weird that I'm 36 now and I have a hero, but I've always looked up to him. And his last episode was classy as, as is always the case. But what, another thing, another example of Conan being classy and a cool thing I wanted to point out, I meant to point this out last week, was Conan was sharing all these, if someone tagged him, if a celebrity tagged him in a post on Instagram saying thank you or saying whatever, he was sharing on Instagram, on uh, on his story. And a, a small band musician, like a small local musician, uh, the band is called Mr. Sam and the People People. The singer or one of the guys in the band, like myself, kind of grew up watching Conan. And Conan was kind of like, a for me, he was like, he was weird in the way that I was weird. Obviously he's way smarter than me and way funnier than me, but like he was someone that I could relate to. And so this, this band or this guy from the band, again, Mr. Sam and the people, people wrote this song about Conan and how like he affected his childhood and he shared it on his, or the band shared it on their Instagram uh, profile. And then Conan shared it, which I think is awesome. Cause this is like, this isn't, this band is like your neighbor. It's not like a, they're nowhere near, you know, and they would be the first to admit this. They're nowhere near famous. So he didn't need to do that. And I went through their Instagram and uh, you can actually download the song. I don't know if it's still available, but you can download the song on song on Bandcamp and they ask for like a, a donation or something. I gave them more than they asked for. But um, I and then I messaged them and I messaged the, the, the guy and I was like, man, this song like really hits close to home. Thank you so much. And he wrote back and he was like, that hits close home to, to hold, close to home for me. So I thought that was really cool, both from Conan, yeah. from the band. Did they yeah. blow up like their, their Instagram blow up at all after he posted that? I'm sure it did. I wasn't I wasn't paying attention to like how many followers they had. But I when I looked, I when I paid for the song on Bandcamp, there's like a track of other people that have bought the song on Bandcamp. Oh, cool. And it's like, you know, Joe bought this song 10 minutes ago. Mike bought this song 15 minutes ago. So I definitely think that hopefully they raised some money and got some exposure and it's, it's just a, it was a really cool story. So, but sorry to cut off whatever. No, 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 no. That's, I, I love stories like that. And that, that last episode was, was great, by the way, really great yeah. last, a closer for sure. I'm, I'm really interested to see what his HBO max series looks like. Me too. And, and I'm hoping I was talking to Bree about this a while ago. I'm hoping that he, I love Conan's podcast and 
I would love it if he did more than one episode a week of that, just because he's so good at talking to people, especially when it's not on the talk show format. He was great at that as well. Yeah. But I love that he he can just have a conversation with someone. And so if he upped it to like two of those a week and then the HBO show, that would be great or, you know, whatever he wants to do. But not that he needs my approval, but that guy really has he's just been a huge part of my life pretty much as long as I can remember It's the first, the late night show started in 93, I think. So I was eight and I remember staying up. I remember when I was in like sixth grade, staying up till 1230 to start watching that show. So yeah, no, that was, cool. was a great fun. And hopefully whatever he does next, Andy Richter is uh, so oh, sidekick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, and there's a, in the, in the song too, there's a, at the last minute, last second of the song, there's a shout out to Andy too. Oh, so awesome. Cool. Yeah. And the, Andy and him work so well together. Like they're they so do. sharp with their jokes. They're so spot on and quick. It's great. They're yep. banter back and forth. Yep. No, they're, you can tell that they're, you can, you can, you hear stories in Hollywood about like this guy, like Jaws actually, an example, a couple of the cast members of Jaws hated each other and you didn't, it didn't really translate on screen. Although it did a little bit cause they were kind of supposed to be at each other's throats on the boat, but what Andy and Conan have, you can totally tell they're legit, like yeah. really close friends. And yeah, Absolutely. that's awesome. But again, sorry, what, what, did you, no, no, you watch anything else? That was pretty much it. Um, the Goonies <laughs> revisiting the classic and watching Run the Woman 1984, which was not a classic. <laughs> nice. Nice. So one thing that I watched, I texted you about, and I know I'm in the minority here, but Brie and I finally watched A Quiet Place, the first one, because we were planning oh, on going boy. to see the second one. Brace yourselves, everyone. No, I know. No, no, no. But I, I'm in the minority here. I, I just don't get it. I don't hate it or anything. It wasn't a bad movie. I'm going to share your, your text message. Where is it? Oh, my, my phone's over there charging. Oh, I'll, t- I'll tell you what I said. What was it? The oh, I said I wanted them to get the daughter. You said, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I said, <laughs> my first... My first text to Joe was, "A quiet place sucks." There, sucks I said it. Big bold letters, sucks. Yes, there was a caps lock. <laughs> no, but what it was is like I had heard that it was like this great movie. I love John Krasinski. My wife loves John Krasinski. The like Rotten Tomatoes was like ninety nine percent or ninety eight percent, and like I said, it it was good. It was perfectly okay. I just I it's been a long time since I've not understood a film's rating like that. Cause, cause there, there were, I love that it's a different idea. Like they have to stay quiet. So you have to make a film without really any, any talking, any dialogue, but there were just so many f- story flaws that I was, and, and, you know, it's, it's perfect that we're talking about back to the future now, because one of the things that that, you know, you guys already heard the trailer, but in our quotes, but one of the things that that film's known for is they tried their best to tie up every loose end and, you know, make it all click. And yeah. And Quiet Place for me, just there were so many things where I was like, wait, what? Like, why don't they just go every day and have a family meeting under the waterfall? If they're, if you can scream under the waterfall or near the waterfall or in the river. But anyway, we don't, we've talked enough about Conan. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I should give you what, what you're. I was going to say, you should, though. If I know you are really turned off by the Quiet Place <clears throat> universe after the first film, but the sequel is a completely yeah. different genre almost like the first thing focused on horror and the second one's more of honestly like an action at film at times um if you ever you know so rainy day you want something to watch i think you should give the sequel a chance i think you may I would like be the sequel open to it far more than the first one i would be open to it i and again like it wasn't that this one was bad it was just that the whole time i'm waiting for it to be this 98% Rotten Tomatoes masterpiece. And, and again, I love John Krasinski. I love Emily Blunt. That's his wife's name, right? Emily Blunt. 
the kid was great in the beginning as much as she was an unlikable little shit sometimes she her acting was great oh yeah she sells the, I, she sells the show in the sequel yeah so but anyway so one more thing a couple more things finishing up watching warrior uh season two which is the last season until they make hopefully a new season really liking it and then another show that someone shared a clip of on instagram and i i was like oh that i'd be into that and i started watching one episode because i finally got um hulu and it's on hulu is uh uh snowfall on fx it's like it's set in la in the 80s kind of at the beginning of the whole crack thing and it has four seasons so far I watched like half an episode and then I stopped because I was like, Eric, you have to finish warrior. You got the other stuff going on. Don't, don't get roped into another show yet, but I'm excited to check that out. So if anyone has seen it and has a strong opinion, either way, send us a message and try to convince me to definitely watch it or, or definitely not watch it. And then the last thing in my life is I found out, I told Joe already that I'm working from home permanently, which is, insane because if you had told me that at the beginning of the beginning of all this craziness i would have laughed in your face because my company is like super old school in a good way in a really good way i love my company but i think that it was probably and no one tells me why anyone makes a decision i'm pretty low on the totem pole but i imagine it was just like a a numbers thing and they did the math you know and they probably see the results you're all getting at home and it's probably a lot Instead of wasting money like on a facility where you're all, you know, in one location using power, electricity, whatever, I'm sure it just cut. Just commercial real estate. Like I, I was commercial real estate, you know, before all this, if you looked into what an office building costs, it's insane. This before all this, I'm sure it's changed now. But yeah, it, you know, just for them to save that monthly payment, you know, we still have two other facilities, but what, where we were, I'm sure it was a, a decent amount of money. And for them to cross that off the, yeah. the to-do list or the, the expense list is a good thing. So. How do you feel about the change? Do you like the work from home thing? Or do you like kind of like a hybrid model? Or I, I mean, I, I haven't done it yet because I'm the, the dust is still kind of settling, I think. But I, I think I would like to, even if it was just not a work thing at all, just a social thing, I I, I love a lot of the people I work with, so I would love to see them more. Yeah. And I, you know, I would love to do like a, you know, meet up for drinks once a month or something like that. Again, not on the, the company dollar, but I do miss that. But I, the work from home thing is a lot better now that I can work my day and then things are open. So I can work my day. We can go to see a movie at Chunky's. I can work my day. We can go grab a drink at wherever so that that helps at the beginning it was horrible because i was like i'm trapped in my house 24 7 but it's better sure i'm sure dogs appreciate too oh they do (laughs) they love it i love that i love seeing them too but um so to get to the to get to the film today we're going to be discussing you guys heard the trailer um we're we're discussing back to the future 2, our first sequel that we've covered on the podcast it's kind of a birthday present to me um before we get into that I drank, I picked out two beers for this one. I, one I had with dinner a couple hours ago, and that was Gullwing, uh, Gullwing Door from Grim Artisanal Ales. And now I'm having Gigawatts 3.0 from Broadbrook Brewery, which is one we've used uh, beers from before. Both double IPAs, both delicious. And uh, by the time you guys are listening to this, I will have posted a picture on Instagram and you'll see it very much fits the film. And then I have to mention, I was talking to Joe before we started recording a documentary to check out if you're a fan of Back to the Future is the Back in Time documentary on Hulu, if you haven't seen it. 
if you're a fan of these films this one focuses more on the first film they do talk about some of the sequels but definitely check it out so uh i picked back to the future like i said it was supposed to be my birthday pick but things just lined up better to do independence day uh because of the 25th anniversary and it being independence day so we're sneaking this one in now um if you listen to the podcast before you know i love these films so you kind of get that but joe what is your uh memory of back to the future 2 uh i i think i mentioned the same thing when we talked about the first film last year this is one of those things where my dad had a rare vhs tape sitting in you know our little shelf area where our living room was and he didn't have a lot of vhs tapes so the fact that he had this trilogy was kind of a big deal and i watched when i was really young I remember the first two the best. The third one I didn't see as many times, um, but the first two I would watch a lot as a kid. The soundtrack stuck with me, video games, uh, everything. It was just it was such a big part of my childhood growing up. Yeah, I, I kind of kind of line up with that. I I've seen this one quite a few times. Um, like I said, I'm a huge fan of the franchise. But one thing, did, I'm glad you said what you just said because. I'll say this. I think out of the three films, I think I've seen this one the least. Okay. And that's because I love Back to the Future 1. I, I make it a point to sit down and watch that fairly frequently. It's one, it's tied from my favorite film of all time. Uh, but, and then the, it's just always seemed like I happen to catch the third one on TV a lot more. So rewatching this one this time, it was, there was probably, yeah, I think it's safe to say I've seen this one fewer times than definitely the first one and i think i've seen the third one more so it was out fun curi- to, out of curiosity yeah. i think i know the answer to this but what's your other favorite what's your favorite film tie with this one i taught the first one uh it's set in boston do you know the answer based on that an older film 90s 90s it's goodwill hunting oh yeah okay yeah okay yeah, yeah. tied and tied okay. for tied for first different films obviously i was gonna go like with the mobster film i'm trying to think of like uh like, like old like gangster films or something but i should have like just I or something yeah oh yeah but then when you said it's hot in boss i was like maybe not yeah definitely not the departed or, <laughs> uh, but um do you have any stats as far as how this one did money wise financially yeah so back to the future part two came out on november 22nd 1989 with a budget of 40 million making 336 million in the box office Wow. It was written by, I know, right? <laughs> it was written by Bob Gale, who wrote the other Back to the Future films as well, and directed by Robert Zemeckis, who, just like we mentioned last episode, really needs no rundown because he is yeah. a legend in the yep. uh, industry. Yep. The, the both of them actually worked together on um, other films as well, other than the Back to the Future series, such as I Want to Hold Your Hand, 1941, both as writers, since Spielberg directed that one and the film Used Cars. So Bob Gale and Zemeckis have worked together a few times. One cool thing about the, um, the documentary that I was promoting earlier, uh, Back in Time, uh, uh, Gale tells the story about how he and Zemeckis like kind of had an idea to write. They wanted to make a movie about time travel, but they, they, they couldn't really like, they couldn't really figure out what exactly they wanted to do. And Gail tells a story about what caused him to write back to the future or what inspired him as he went home to see his father and his father graduated high school in 1940, I think it was. And he was flipping through his father's yearbook and he saw that his dad was class president. He never knew that. So he started thinking, I think he says something like, 
you know, my class president was kind of jerk, kind of a jerk. I wonder if my dad was a jerk. What did my dad do well with ladies? Was he, was he cool? Was he a geek? And so that kind of gave him the idea. And it's just, it's interesting to think of like how such a little thing, you know, maybe if his dad didn't leave the yearbook out on a table or something, wherever, like, however he stumbled up across that, he would have never written this movie. So I, I think that's, that's pretty cool. That's really cool. Yeah. So uh, critically review wise, this is a 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb, a 66% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty shocking to me, to be honest. Um, three stars from Roger Ebert. And here's a quote from Ebert's review. Back to the Future 2 is an exercise in goofiness and excursion into various versions of the past and future that is so baffling that even the characters are constantly trying to explain it to each other. I should have brought a big yellow legal pad to the screening so I could take detailed notes just to keep the timeline straight. And yet the movie is fun, mostly because it's so screwy. I think that's, I think that's accurate. I think that he should give a little bit more credit to what you know, them trying to make everything line up. But I, I think that's a, that's a fair, that's a fair comment. I do too. So you said this came out in November of 89, correct? Yes. So other, other films that came out that month, Little Mermaid, All Dogs Go to Heaven, Harlem Nights with Eddie Murphy, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, uh, Steel Magnolias and My Left Foot. So Damn, pretty, not, not bad, yeah. not bad. All Dogs yeah. Go to Heaven it's one of my favorite films growing up. And I still love that movie. So I know you don't like animated films, Eric, but someday when we get down to a couple, I don't not like animated films. No, I, I know, but you don't, you don't yeah. prefer them. You don't prefer them. I should yeah. say, because I know yeah, it's more complicated than that, but yes. <laughs> okay. But all yes. those heaven is one of my favorites growing up. So yeah, no, it's dumb. I would, I might, I might block that one just because I can't deal with bad things happening to dogs. You could show yeah. me like some horrible thing. happening. It's a, it's a happy, to... it's a happy film. Right. Sure it is. Um, so, so outside of film, Lou Pinella replaced uh, Pete Rose as manager of the Reds after Pete Rose's lifetime ban for gambling was uh, thrown on him by MLB. The Batman film was released on videotape. Uh, a law banning smoking on most domestic flights was signed by President George H.W. Bush. Uh, center fielder Kirby Puckett for the uh, for the twins and Ricky Henderson for the Oakland athletics signed record breaking or tying, I guess, $3 million a year deals, which that's pretty crazy when you think of what people make now. And then lastly, queen Latifah releases her debut hip hop album, all hail the queen featuring the single ladies first, which is a total classic. So do you have uh, the back of the DVD summary back of the VHS summary? I do. Uh, in this zany sequel, time-traveling duo Marty McFly and Dr. Emmett Brown return from saving Marty's future son from disaster, only to discover their own time transformed. In this nightmarish version of Hill Valley, Marty's father has been murdered, and Biff Tannen, Marty's nemesis, has profited. After uncovering the secrets of Biff's success, a sports almanac from the future, Marty and the Doc embark on a quest to repair the space-time continuum. That's pretty good, pretty accurate, and two things from from hearing you say that uh where i said that this one is the one that i've seen the least re-watching it i was kind of like i i forgot kind of how dark it was in the in the the biff well, biff is like, an actual bad guy <laughs> yeah yeah that that and then the other thing and i was discussing this with a friend of mine and he got all butthurt about it but I was telling him how, and I've known this for, for 
more than the past five years that Biff in this movie, in this version, is based on Donald Trump, not not politician Donald Trump, not so like set aside your political views. You got to think this is the 80s. This is Donald Trump who's building like gold plated buildings and like brushing his hair with a gold brush. And and if you if you know that and you watch this movie, it's not even really debatable. And and if they've come out and said that that's the case, that they based it on 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 Donald Trump. So it's rewatching it. It was interesting. But the yeah, how dark it was yeah. in, in the Biff era or the Biff run world or was Biff is actually kind of forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So uh, some of the, the cast members and everything going into the film, before we get, we go over the leads, the big names, we had to touch on a couple changes from the first film. So the first one is Elizabeth Shue, who replaced Claudia Wells to play Jennifer. Elizabeth Shue's classic 80s babe, known for Back to the Future 2 and 3, also Karate Kid, which uh, we discussed, Adventures in Babysitting, Cocktail, The Saint, leaving Las Vegas. And then more recently, she's done some TV stuff like CSI and the boys on Amazon prime, which I haven't seen, but I've heard is good. Um, and she replaced Claudia Wells because unfortunately Claudia's mother got really sick with cancer. So she quit acting for a while, at least to kind of take care of her mother. Um, in what I think was unfortunately the, her, her last stretch. Um, and then Jeffrey Weissman, who kind of filled in to replace Crispin Glover and play George McFly. Um, he was also in The Pale Rider, uh, Scarecrow and Mrs. King, Dallas. Uh, he, he doesn't look like Glover at all, but they use like Hollywood makeup and some weird angles and they didn't show the face a ton anyway to get by. But what's more important than what, uh, who played Crispin Glover is the, the effect of that is Crispin Glover actually ended up suing for money and for rights because the, the law came from this or they, they decided after this that, you know, if you want to replace a character like they did, they replaced Claudia Wells with Elizabeth Shue, that's fine. But if I had Joe star in the first movie, I can't hire someone that looks exactly like Joe and use, you know, kind of try to edit in clips of Joe from the first one. And, uh, and then this new guy in the second one, because you're, you're making money off Joe's likeness. And that's what they were doing with Crispin Glover. So, he for you know they had disagreements on his role and what he was paid and, and everything so he decided to bail on the second one so the legal way that they would have to do that if they were to, if this was to happen again is just pick a new person have him play George McFly don't try to make it look like Crispin Glover you can't profit off Crispin Glover's likeness so that's one yeah that's uh, that's, a, that's a really cool history on like you know what the industry looks like you know if there is some drama on set or something that doesn't right. go right like what that looks like and that must have been a huge complication for sure at first yeah and we'll we'll get into it later in some other spots but i really wish that crispin glover crispin glover is one of my favorite parts of the first film yeah. he's he's amazing so uh, it th- this film was unbelievable it didn't like really hurt the the movie too much but I would have loved to see what it what could have been done with Crispin Glover, yeah. and it actually changed the plot too, which we'll we'll cover later. So, um, so now the big names: Zemeckis, who you talked about a few minutes ago, um, when we talked about him last week for Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but we'll have to mention some of his hits as a director. So, *Romancing the Stone*, obviously the *Back to the Future* series, *Forrest Gump*, *What Lies Beneath*, *Castaway*, *Polar Express*, *Polar Express*, and more and more and more. So, super successful. Um, the next obvious name is Michael J. Fox, 
So from 82 to 89, he's on family ties. Um, obviously, he had Back to the Future, the first one, 85. And he had Teen Wolf, also in 85, which is on Prime right now. If anyone wants to watch it, I was, I was going to watch it last night, but I didn't. Um, Secret of My Success in 87. Casualties of War in 89. This in 89. Back to the Future 3 in 1990. And then Homeward Bound and some other voice work starting in the early 90s, obviously, as his, uh, his Parkinson's kind of progressed. Um, Christopher Lloyd, probably best known for this, Back to the Future series, also in Taxi on television, Clue, which we've done on the podcast, Who Framed, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which we've done on the podcast. So he's, he's kind of getting up near Heather Graham for most, most covered on the podcast. Um, <laughs> Heather and then Graham. The, that, that, that comparison, Heather Graham and Christopher Lloyd, we'll just have a, like a rundown of someday with the all most the random, <laughs> the most random two people to cover the most. Um, and then the Adams family and some more stuff. And then also in the film, have to mention first appearance, uh, first film appearance from Elijah Wood. Yes. Yep. He plays one of the two kids playing video games uh, that Marty speaks with in the diner at the beginning of the film. And then Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers, who's in this one as Needles. So. Did you have anything down for uh, the more you know random facts about Back to the Future 2? I have a couple. You just mentioned one with Elijah Wood. Um, so this was kind of a kind of a downer of fact just because of what it led to. But that's when I start off with this one. Filmed at the same time as Back to the Future Part 3. It was claimed at the time that in the four years since Back to the Future was made, Michael J. Fox had forgotten how to ride a skateboard. However, more skills are not easily lost as in riding a bicycle. Michael J. Fox has since said that this was an early symptom of his Parkinson's disease. Although the medical yeah, diagnosis, me yeah, was not made until '91, so it's kind of scary how these like were the first steps to what eventually, you know, unfortunately, yeah. it's very sad uh, uh, that whole that whole story. But I, if you want to like look at it in a positive way, I think Michael J. Fox is like should be the poster boy for. He almost Someone is. Who, oh, like, oh, yeah. I like, can see, like, for Parkinson's, like, he almost is. Like, he's done so much work and so much getting this. Oh, that too. Yeah, no, that too. But I mean, for someone who, you know, you know, and I know people in my life that have had like one or two things go wrong and they choose to let it be like the reason yeah. they're miserable their entire life and they convince themselves that the world's out to get them. Michael J. Fox has every reason to be angry at the world and he is. You know, he's in that documentary and, he, and you see him interviewed all the time. He's obviously he has his challenges physically and everything, but he still seems like a, a happy person who r realizes what he has going and the lucky and the good life that he's had, even though it has had its challenges. So that's pretty admirable. Absolutely. He's actually he has a couple, I think was it three or four. I have three of them that I've read. Um, he's a couple autobiographies and they're really good. It's he goes, he, some of them he talks about. Yeah, if you ever want to bother them, I have them. He talks about something like, you know, how he started, his backstory, um, the call between, you know, when he's working on a TV show to the call to go to the big movie, Back to the Future. But then, he, like, in some books, he talks about Parkinson's, has a focus on that. So it's, like you said, he, despite kind of being, this, this being something that would bring down a lot of people, he still somehow is positive for the whole thing. It's incredible. You know why, Joe? He's Canadian. I get it. Already. Yeah. Sorry. Keep going with your, your random fact. According to Michael J. Fox, he found out there was going to be a sequel to Back to the Future when he watched the VHS version and the words to be continued were added at the end. He merely called his agent to make sure he was going to be in the sequel. The fact that they never informed Michael J. Fox that there was a sequel to begin with is <laughs> that's a true a weird. fact. It's a little weird. weird. 
and um, multiple theaters screened the movie on October 21st, 2015, as that is the exact date Doc and Marty, uh, Doc, Marty and Jennifer Child of the Future, and I definitely went to that as well with my brother. We saw the awesome. AMC did it, and like a bunch of theaters did it. Cool events happened. Rocket, uh, this is game Rocket League that released like special cars for their games. It was like, it was a really, it was cool to live through 2015 when this movie was <laughs> pricked it, you know. Do you think that I and I think that maybe it's part of our partially because of our age, but I think that this film, well, sorry, this series, especially the first one and, and this one, but and some other 80s movies have aged better than any. There are more films from the 80s that I think, you know, if I had a son right now when he was 10, I feel like I could show him Back to the Future. I could show him. Uh, Breakfast Club, I could show him Ferris Bueller and, and, you know, in other 80s movies. For whatever reason, it seems like there are some ridiculous 80s movies where they go so 80s that it's like, I love it, but it's a little over the top. But I, I think that for whatever reason, the 80s is the sweet spot as far as like they had the right focus on like the important stuff. And that's why you can show a, 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 a showing of it in 2015 and it sells yeah. out theaters because kids now still get it so right and like it's so relevant even in the gaming world like yeah. they have games have like add-on expansions like like i said rocket league added cars like the DeLorean to the game and like they sell well so it's like you said back to the future is it's, it's awesome how these movies have aging with different generations yep yep for sure and yeah so that was my last fact that like i said elijah wood you mentioned first okay. from appearance which is super cool because he is a great actor and a yep. great person so yep. also a gamer <laughs> oh nice yeah so my you took a few of my facts which is good so i was going to focus on just a couple like hidden hidden gems as far as references but the thing is there are a million of them in this one that are either referencing the first back to the future or the or the uh, upcoming third one um so we could talk for hours on them i'm not going to point out every single one but i just wanted to uh make note of a few so the first one is the ledge on the clock tower that Doc uh, broke in Back to the Future 1 is still broken in 2015, which is pretty cool. When uh, the future Marty McFly attempts to play his guitar, he's playing the main riff of Power of Love by Huey Lewis, which is the theme song of the first one. Uh, in this movie, a disguise, so at the towards the end of this movie, a disguised 1985 Doc Brown holds a conversation with his 1955 counterpart. 1985 doc is wearing a brown trench coat and hat if you look carefully in back to the future the first one from 1985 you can see a man dressed exactly like this and therefore presumably doc walking away shortly before the clock tower scene in the dvd commentary it's explained that this is not intentional um it's just been it hadn't even been written at the time it was just kind of a, a coincidence but i thought that was pretty cool that was really cool uh, yeah, just before Marty and Doc leave 2015, there is a shot in the time machine's control panel showing the last time departed as November 12th, 1955 at 6.38 p.m. If they had noticed this, they would have known that someone had just used a time machine, time machine without them. Yeah, more details like that. I know. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. And it's even crazier when you think that they didn't, they didn't write this ahead. They didn't know this. They didn't write all three films at once. They... they it, that makes this movie so crazy that they were able to scramble and still yeah. tie it up so tight. And then lastly, 
Uh, the shirt that Doc wears for the majority of the film features the des a design depicting cowboys on horseback and a train, foreshadowing the climax of the third Back to the Future film. So, yeah, just tons of, like I said, go back, even if you've watched it 100 times, go back and rewatch it and you'll, you'll pick out a bunch of things. Oh, yeah. I, I, was, I, was, I was talking to my brother about this. I completely forgot the brief mention in the beginning of the film. He talks about his favorite ever being like the Wild West. And yep, yep. here we are. And the next film is all around, you know, the Western setting. So really cool little details like that. And Biff's uh, Biff's skateboard is like the model of it. it's like the Mad Dog or something like that, which is a, you know, a kind of a preview of what he's going to be in the, in the third one. So yes. yeah. Did you have anything down for stuff that wouldn't fly? Not in this Millennium stuff. Stuff that wouldn't fly in today's environment. Uh, other than joking <laughs> about how far off the vision for 2015 was. Nothing offensive, and so considered classic, like we mentioned. The film still airs all the time. Yeah, yeah. I think I think if this one came out today, it would be PG thirteen, just because there are more swears than rewatching. And I was like, oh, there's yeah, there's a couple like a... assholes, a couple of shits here and there, but yeah, like, yeah, exactly. it's... nothing yeah. bad. But no. And then the only other thing I said was the the only bad thing was the flashback to the attempted rape from the first film <laughs> from this <Biff's, laughs> attempted rape. But that you can't blame that on the sequel. That's just a flashback to the first one. But I love uh, I love the use of swears in this movie though. <laughs> like the beginning is uh when. Do you see Doc? Well, this is how you know the how the first one was. He's like, you know, what, what are we assholes in the future? I love yeah. that. I love like when we have Jennifer in the car with them. He knocks her out, and so she forgets things. He's like, what? Well, how do we bring her then? Like, I love the the language in this movie. Like, it feels like it is a a, a kid kind of in a way speaking, and like you know, it's, it's just very when it carries real. more weight, right? Like yeah. as much as I love movies, like you know, pick pick a two thousand like super bad. There's stats on like in super bad. There's you know, 200 something swears or whatever it is. Yeah. And I love those movies, but it is cool in a movie like this, where when they swear it, it carries more weight because right. they don't do it every sentence. So yeah, yeah. no, that's cool. What'd you have uh, for your favorite scene? You talked about this a little bit in the beginning when talking about some of the facts and Mari's father, but I love the scenes that splice clips from the first movie while recreating them with yeah. possible consequences in their, you know, in the current timeline. I think that's super cool. And the way they did it, it just feels so natural. It feels so right. It's like the we see the end of the dance sequence. We see Marty on stage. As we saw in the first movie, we have Marty in the audience. So, you know, trying to figure out, watching these guys come up behind past or the other Marty. It's the way they did this all is so cool. And I still am blown away by how they pulled it off. Yeah, I um, agree with that. The, the dance scene, real quick, a random fact that I wrote down or I was going to write down, but I didn't. I guess they had a really hard time because Zemeckis was like very, he was a stickler for, he wanted everyone to wear exactly the same clothes and he could, they couldn't get everyone the exact same clothes. I think one of the only people they were able to get the same outfit was uh, Lorraine, uh, the mom's dress from the, from the dance. But yeah, just that attention to details yeah. is great. And that's probably the, if they had to choose anyone, the best person you'd be focusing on. So it's probably a good choice <laughs> to make sure they got her for original sure, outfit. For sure. Um, Biff as an actual bad guy in the future is awesome. I thought he's already known as Mari's nemesis, as we heard from the summary. So having him try and actually kill Mari's son in the future made him super intimidating. And like we mentioned in the, in the uh, logo, it's really dark. He actually pulls out a gun and starts shooting at him. The end fight sequence is awesome with Mari on the hoverboard hanging on to Biff's car and trying to get the almanac. And the sequence when Biff is literally gunning him down in a tunnel as Mari is rescued by Doc. And just the, the complexities of time traveling in this film is really impressive. They 
had they must i can't imagine what their notes looked like to make sure everything was accurate but there is the first one's complicated this one takes that to a whole other level of complex and just they keep on doing things and there could easily be so many loopholes but like we mentioned they really had a good eye on for, for the detail of dates and times and going back from the first film so the touch on this film is super impressive if you have the patience to do it and you have a friend who's like contrarian this is a great one to watch this is a great one to grab that friend and say this film is one of the most buttoned up films in history they paid attention to every detail and then sit down and watch it with them and they'll try to pick apart they'll say like yeah but like how would he have and some of it's some of it's um like a matter of opinion like you say like you may have a different view on it and everything but a lot of it they might get you for a second but then you think and you're like no because x or y it's just a it's a super fun movie to talk about it specifically how buttoned up it is and you know you try to poke holes in it and there are you know maybe you can poke one or two but it's it's so airtight with 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 everything with the plot so oh yeah no shortcuts with this one no no um my favorite scene, I have, I have one that's truly my favorite scene that I, one that I wanted to mention, but that, that you kind of touched on too. But my favorite scene is Doc explaining what happened with Biff stealing the almanac. Like when they're in the garage and he's explaining to Marty what happened and how the world's on fire, basically. Um, going back and creating that alternate universe. So his Doc's explanation, Marty's guilt that he feels for ruining everything by, by buying that almanac. And then my favorite part of this scene is them creating the plan to fix it. I just, I just love it. It makes you think that's one of the, the things I love about it. Like I said, about these films, what, like I said, is, is just how much it makes you think and you try to poke holes in it and it's tough. And then I also love, and this is what you kind of touched on the first scene with Marty and Jennifer. And I love it for a few scenes. One, I want that truck that Marty has. It's I, I told Joe, I think before we were recording, I found out that that guy who owns it lives in Ludlow mass. I I'm, I want to buy that truck but i'm sure it would cost me like a million dollars but <laughs> two i don't know if this is the only reason that they did it but this is a great way to say without saying that this is the new jennifer it's elizabeth shoe not claudia wells um you also see jeffrey weissman is replacing crispin glover and it just kind of gets it out of the way it kind of resets you as a viewer of you were used to claudia wells as being uh as being his girlfriend as being jennifer and now you just go, okay, it's Elizabeth Shue now. That's it. That's, the, that's what it is, what it is. So I, I love that. Like, I love that scene. I just love it from a practical point as well. So the soundtrack, usually your, your section, what'd you think? Just like we talked about when I discussed in the first Back to the Future last year, the soundtrack is one of the most iconic. Alan Silvestri, again, who's worked with Zemeckis a ton of times, especially last episode with Roger Rabbit, from Roger Rabbit. Um, he created one hell, of a, one hell of a theme. And whenever any song plays in this movie, you sort of just want to snap and cheer. This, the movie's incredible with without the, with the, with, with the score, but the soundtrack brings it to different levels of incredible whenever it comes on. Um, and, and one of the best also mixes of a score and then popular music yes. from both yep. the 50s and the 80s. I was just going to say that this movie does this again. We talked about why this movie still is really popular with different generations. They chose the right songs when it comes to licensed music. The right, the, the songs that are still played every so often is still really popular. So they're popular then, but they're still popular now, which I think helps. And as for the soundtrack, the, it did get a vinyl release again. Mondo put one out 
two years back. And while they do repress it every so often, this one's a little expensive. It's out of print now. So if you want it on vinyl, you might want to go on Discogs and get it. But it is a little pricey since it, it's out of print, unfortunately. But really good soundtrack. And they released all three films. So that's awesome. Yeah, I I, I gave this one extra credit for um, specifically the music that they threw in in the 80s because it's they could have gone way wrong with that like i love the 80s diner throwback that was in the future like because that's tough if you think about it to do a because they were still in the 80s you know so how do you do it would be like if in 1999 you tried to make like oh what are people going to remember about the 90s it's hard to like see the forest through the trees when you're still in the moment but they nailed it pretty good i think if you made an 80s themed diner it would look kind of like that it was it was great um this is the the tough one if you could change one thing about this this film what would you change just like you said this is hard because this movie is really enjoyable from start to finish and it is the rare sequel that doesn't completely suck which is thankful for um when comparing the first one and the second film i loved how much is at stake in the first one when dealing with relationships and what can be affected with the mother and father having this one being about a sports almanac on the surface isn't as isn't as risky and high stake, I guess. Obviously, when we see what can happen and that what causes the you know the problems that it causes, it's we see that we see the what what can happen. But on paper, I kind of wish it was a little bit more of a focus on maybe Marty's son and Jennifer's son. Maybe if like the first half of the film instead of having most of it be about getting this almanac back for the most part, because I the stakes aren't as high. One just like thinking about this book is causing all this like hell but again i love the movie so that's just something that i'd be curious i'd be interested to see how they would have handled it if it was more about mari's son and daughter getting out of trouble um and also how marty puts everything on the line at the end for after he gets called a chicken he has the omnac in his hand and what does he do he's like you know what he's like come here chicken he puts everything on the line <laughs> just to confront being called a chicken ridiculous rookie he's mistake a, he's but... an 18 year old boy dude <laughs> so but no this movie those are that's that's very nitpicky because this movie is excellent um no yeah I, I agree with what you said one thing about why they went this way with this one compared to something similar to what you were hoping or not hoping for but you would have liked to see um is that coming out of the first one they wanted to make marty like they wanted to get him dirty a little bit, if that makes sense. Like he was almost like too pure of a character in the first one. So they wanted to make him flawed. And that's one thing uh, you'll love about that documentary when you, when you watch it is there's a lot of screenwriters on it that I'm sure you'll know. And uh, one of them, I can't remember which one it was, but he said, he's like back to the future one from a screenwriter's point of view makes no sense because it violates every rule that you're, that you're taught in film school of like, you know, there's no, the, the character's not flawed. He's not, you know, it's just, it's just super interesting, but I see, I see what you're saying. Um, and yeah, so. Um, I, I, didn't for, the, I didn't check the documentary out. I'm going to make that, oh, you'd that love my it, to-do Joe. list for sure. That sounds awesome. It's you'd love it. It's even more, it's aimed at me as a back to the future fan, but as a film person and someone who really studies screenwriting and, everything you'll get a whole different thing from it so it's great um so for me if i could change one thing there isn't anything too serious just like you said um 
I think this film is pretty much perfect, especially as sequels go. Uh, I'm going to get into something like kind of nitpicky and stuff, but the one thing I, and I mentioned this earlier, I teased it. I really, really, really wish Crispin Glover could have been on board for this one because I would have liked more George McFly. I think he's great. Hollywood's a business and I get that, but it, it kind of stinks. And, and the plot line of George McFly being dead in 1985 was based entirely on Crispin Glover's refusal to do the sequel. They were like, we, we don't have him. We, we can't get by using the other actor for that much. We can use him for some random scenes, but so I would, I would have loved to see the whole crew back, you know, the A squad, but, um, and then little, two little nitpicky things. Michael J. Fox playing the entire family in the future, including the sister. That was, <laughs> that was just like an unnecessary thing. And it's Michael J. Fox isn't that sort of actor. It's not that sort of film. He's not Eddie Murphy. Right. So that I was like, it doesn't bother me because it comes and goes so fast that you're just, but, and, and, you know, I guess you got to take your shot, take your swings and stuff, but didn't work for me. One more super nitpicky thing towards the end of the film, when Marty's in the back of Biff's car, like two feet from him, talking on a walkie-talkie oh my god i know that was i was laughing i was like man i was talking to my brother about that i'm like how the hell like the road's not that loud <laughs> dude and they it was just the reason it's extra funny is that you go through all this work to tie up like the script so like you know the mall changes names from 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 to lone pine to twin pine malls and like everything the the the, the masonry on town hall on the clock tower is still broken you know, you tie up all these loose ends and then he's sitting two feet from him, pretty much screaming into a, screaming into a walkie-talkie. Yes. I was like, come on. And then Doc uh, backs up and hands. So then when Doc is kind of uh, interacting with himself in 1955, he's just got a trench coat on and he backs up so he can't see his face and hands himself or hands the guy a wrench after telling. It. The best part is he had just said to Marty, like, we can't compromise we can't compromise the space time continue with Marty. And, and like, you know, he was just, so he, with Marty, he's all about, you got to go by the rules, but then he just thinks that backing up to himself is going to be totally okay. When there's no one else around, that's not weird at all, but it's, it's all in. I do love that sequence yeah. with the two of them talking. As like you, you said, it's so, it's so like the side by side is so ridiculous how they're not like, holy shit, you know, it's, right. you're me, but right. I do love the conversation they have with each other. Yeah. He's like, cause like, I don't remember the exact measurements so don't message me, but it's something like, and I have the half inch wrench and he's like, don't you mean the three eights cool. or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Or yep. something, something like that. I'm like, come on. Yeah. No, but it's, it's fun. It's that fun. sounds good. So all that said, we're at the point of the podcast where we give our scores. So if you've listened before, you know, we rate movies on a scale of one to five. Would you mind paying a late fee to keep this movie? So a score of one is low. It's where right at the beginning of the movie, you see that it's Elizabeth Shue and you're not a fan of hers. You wish you kept the original cast and you turn it off. I don't know how you could do that, uh, but if you could, you could uh, all the way up to a score of five, which is I'm going to keep this movie and watch it again. Keep it at a few extra days so I can try to pick out the references to the first one or pre or uh, uh, references to the upcoming third one. And you're willing to pay a late fee, maybe even just buy it from the video rental store to keep it a few so you don't have to return it at all. So low is one, high is five. Joe, what is your score? You're going first because it was my pick. What is your score for Back to the Future 2? So Back to the Future Part 2 is a rare sequel that doesn't fall completely flat. It picks up right where the first left off and doesn't stop. Marty and Doc are amazing together, but Biff really is the scene stealer when he's on full display. Out of the three movies, this is definitely Biff's best role and gives actor Thomas F. Wilson a chance to really go up against the greats Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd. 
while the almanac is a sort of weaker step in my opinion i still love this movie so much and i give it a 4.5 that's that's uh all very fair and the thing i want to totally agree with you on is biff and biff's great in the first one he's i think good in the third one this is definitely his best best film and everything you see or everything you 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 uh you read about Thomas F. Wilson is that he's like the nicest human being in the world. And I think I mentioned this when we talked about the first one, but he is totally not, you know, how some actors are like, Oh, I don't want to always be associated with, with this. Cause it's the only thing I'm known for. He, everyone says about him that you could walk up to him in the grocery store and be like Biff and he'll take a picture with you. And yes. he totally realizes how fortunate he is. Right. And he crashes actual awesome. like he crashes conventions of back to the future. Like just like not as being like, you know, if he's not invited, he'll just crash and hang out with the fans. Like he is, he is Biff and he's fully on board with that, which is yep. great. Yep. Super and cool. I love one thing you get in this one that you don't get in the, the other two is I love the uh, old Biff talking to young Biff because he has like that wisdom of like sometimes it's more serious stuff and then sometimes you, he cracks that joke like it's like make like a tree and get out of here or whatever <laughs> and he corrects him so I love I love seeing that so I totally agree with you on that so for my score this is a tough one because I I do have a ranking of the three films and I do like the first one the most but this one's pretty close to perfect in my opinion especially as a sequel especially as a sequel that wasn't planned um, they didn't set out to write three they set out to write one and they had to scramble so and i think that this one might actually be the most impressive when you consider that they made one walked away for a bit and then had to step back in and dot all the i's cross all the t's and it's pretty much perfect as far as that goes i love how it takes a darker turn for a little bit and it's the opposite of the wholesome 50s world this may not surprise you but i gave this one a five out of five as, as a sequel it's as good as sequels get it may be the best sequel ever i don't i mean that's not crazy to say it's in the discussion definitely so i really love rewatching it too and uh like i said it's the one i've seen the least out of the three and i'll be watching it even more so the beer both beers um going door from grim artisanal ales was delicious gigawatts 3.0 which they have at rma still joe you should go oh yes when you go you have to grab some yes yeah so both were delicious um follow us on instagram at worth a late fee suggestions are always welcome just send us a message um we'll be back next week and it's joe's pick i picked this one it's joe's pick next week what are what are we doing joe we talked about a little bit in the beginning here but we are going to be visiting the late richard donner classic the goonies for the next episode i like that and i'll give you a a teaser I think that I've probably seen the Goonies way less than you would assume as the person on the podcast. Who's like the guy that's always pushing for eighties movies, eighties classics. My two best friends, the house brothers diehard Goonies fans. Maybe not. That might be a little strong, huge, huge Goonies fans. And I've seen it a handful of times, but not as much as most. So I'm, I'm excited to go back and rewatch it. That's a great pick. Awesome. Classic. So thank you guys very much for listening. And we'll be back next week. Yes. As always, everyone. Thank you.